but it's going to be like, oh my God, I see this. And people will be going, as soon as I get any money and I'm going to spend it right now. Uh, and, and, and soon we'll run into the panic buying and all the other stuff. Governments will probably start trying to do price controls and every, but we're at that. We are so close to that right now. Mm. It's absolutely vital. So I'm here to give you that warning. Uh, I know there's so many other things going on, the banking system and all these other systems. Uh, but the biggest consequence of all those other collapses are the food system. Welcome to Truthiverse, the number one podcast for free and discerning minds. I'm your host, Brendan Murphy, author and founder of The Truthiversity. As a freedom hacker and truth addict, it's my job to help you reclaim yourself from illusion and live in your power. Living in truth sets you free to holistically upgrade your entire life so you can explore infinite possibility. Join me as we hack our way to a higher evolution. Welcome to this episode of Truthiverse. This week, I'm joined by Marjorie Wildcraft, who is the founder of The Grow Network. And she has been a female leader in the survival and preparedness space for nearly 20 years now, ladies and gents. And uh, she actually runs a free webinar, which we're going to we'll mention later on. It's called You Can Grow Food, something along those lines. And it's how to grow buttloads of food in your own backyard, even, even if you've got no experience. And basically, you know, how to get ready for the kinds of times that are now upon us and uh, approaching. So, yeah, she's an expert in this space. And uh, officially, the show sponsor is uh, from from here on out. So stoked to you know to be collaborating with Marjorie. She's she's in a powerhouse in this realm. So also a very very solid wealth of knowledge on um, you know herbalism and this kind of thing as well. So we're going to start with the growing your own food, the survival preparedness, what's going on in the world. Um, Marjorie, welcome, and uh, let's get into it. <laughs> Where do you want to kick off? Yeah, I think I think we should go with a, a backdrop of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, probably not most of the folks watching this now, uh, but there there is a lot, and you may not, you probably aren't being aware of it. You're probably aware that there are lots and lots of problems, and 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 certainly aware of a lot of things. And but you know, people don't pay attention to agriculture, and why should we? You know, you've probably been noticing prices are going up, and maybe some thinning on the shelves. Uh, I want to tell you that there is a we are headed into actually a global famine and I'm going to use the F word. Uh, it, it really is a famine. Uh, I've been asked over and over again, is this thing planned or is it natural? And I'll say it's a combination of both. And I'll start out with that. So in 2015, you, you remember Brandon and in, in, we didn't watch it, but in 2019, how the event 201 was this whole like, Oh, what if there's a pandemic? And then like, bam, next year there's a pandemic and it just kind of follows that script. Well, in 2015, Cargill, which is the world's largest privately held company, and they have their tentacles in every aspect of food production on this planet. They basically control food production on this planet. They did a, um, they did a scenario called the food chain reaction crisis. And in that scenario, and they did the same thing, you know, they gather all the world leaders and they put them in there and they give them some constraints. And they said, well, something really big happens in 2020 and then in 2021 and we have all this weird weather stuff going on and we have all these weird things breaking down and problems. And in 2021, the food prices go up 40 percent and then 2022, they go up, you know, 100 percent more and then they just keep, you know, doubling. Now, they did not encounter um, hyperinflation and currency collapse, which is actually the most imminent thing that is, is going to be happening to us probably this summer, honestly. Um, uh, 
but everything that they had forecast has been unfolding. Uh, and a lot of it kind of behind the scenes, a lot of the weather stuff, severe, severe drought in the U.S., hampering U.S. grain production, uh, you know, all kinds of weird flooding here or ice there, what freaky storms, uh, just really, really, you know, like a jingle block out here and a jingle block out there and a jingle. In, and I'm sure you've heard about the 150 food processing plants that have been destroyed. And uh, now the latest thing is that train derailment in Ohio, where they have now toxified possibly three reasonably good agricultural producing states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, and then gosh, those folks up in Ontario. We always wondered their, their whole 2030 agenda was to get people off the land and out of the rural areas. And all of us wondered how they would do that. Now we know, you know, how do you get the Amish multi-generational self-sufficient? Yeah. You make, you make their land too toxic that they can't live their lifestyle anymore. So there's a lot going on. Well, and, and that is falling according to, to plan, but even beyond that in, and, um, in, in January of 2022, uh, the Hunga volcano erupted. And it's in the Pacific Islands. And it spewed out like this huge amount of water. And like almost within a day, the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere of the Earth went up 10%. And in a closed ecosystem like Gaia, that's a huge change. Uh, and, and one of the consequences we've seen of that now, like, like California's had flooding, like you won't believe, right? After years and years of drought, now they're just completely flooding. Uh, some other consequences of that is uh, there are microcrystalline uh, ice crystals up in the stratomesosphere, which is the ozone layer. And the ozone hole, which had been healing from, you know, the 1970s and 80s. Remember, we all quit the... the spray fluorocarbons or whatever it was. And the hole had been you know, kind of closing up and healing. Well, these microcrystals are destroying the ozone layer. The good news is that won't be permanent. Like it, once the, this moisture stuff, you know, gets settled into the system, maybe in a few years, five years or so, the hole will go back to closing. But in the meantime, it's blown wide open again and it's affecting uh, the Southern hemisphere crops. Uh, and what happens is you have too much UVB radiation that comes in and we're already seeing it like the officials number coming in from like Australia, I think like 50% crop reductions, uh, you know, the same thing in Argentina, Brazil, Brazil looked like we don't know, but now they're having such flooding going on that they can't plant the corn for the second uh, Southern hemisphere crop. Uh, certainly, well, South Africa is just such a mess right now, but a lot of the African South, you know, anywhere where we have the Southern Hemisphere, the, the crops aren't coming in. And I think everybody's aware of the Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia thing that's going on. Well, what most people aren't aware of, Russia is, and Ukraine, a huge, huge breadbasket that fed a lot of the world, like all of the sun, like, like 54% of sunflower seed and sunflower seed oil production came from the Ukraine. Wow. I know. Right. And then like 20% of the world grain production came from the Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine is not planting. I, they were even the official estimates said, well, we're going to plant about half our acreage. That's complete bull at BS. I mean, if they're lucky, if they'll get about 15%, I mean, you don't go farming when your country is in the middle of a war. Right. You know, there's, bombed out fields and equipment that they can't get and their electrical grid is still down and 
Mm. And how do you get all this stuff around that you need, like diesel and fertilizer and all that? So um, the, the consequences of the food prices going up and the lack of food ability, uh, affordability, and, and I mean, you can know this is true, is, is quite frankly, that's the only thing that gets people to riot. And uh, there is rioting and protesting breaking out all over the planet now, everywhere. And, you know, of course, as I said, South Africa is like completely melting down right now. Uh, and, you know, we had earlier Sri Lanka and, and some of these other countries, but it's now hitting countries that you would like France, in Germany, the UK, uh, Spain, Moldova. They're all having huge and a lot of these protests are now turning very, very violent. Uh, some of them are peaceful, but more and more are so. And that's happening because of, you know, quite frankly, when you can't feed your, your family is when you get up off that couch. <laughs> uh, in the United States, uh, we are going to start seeing that actually here in a few weeks. And the trigger for it is the uh, SNAP payments, uh, which is the, the welfare uh, uh, food supplementation program. And uh, in, when the COVID experience started, they gave everybody a 15% increase in their SNAP payment. By the way, there's 42 million people on the SNAP payment. So, you know, 15 or 20% of our country is, is on these payments. Wow. And they gave them a 15% increase, which was helpful. And then, of course, food inflation has been much more than 15% in the last three years. Well, the, those payments were just temporary, and they actually just ended the program in early March. And I was just looking in my own forums and uh, my own community, and, and uh, there's, there's a woman going, oh, my God, we don't have all of our people. They, they don't have the supplies they need. We're not getting any more food into the food banks. We don't know what to do. Our elder, you know, there's, there's, it's just a horrible, horrible situation, and that is going to start, start rolling out even here in the United States very soon. So um, it's, it's happening. We, we did not have a lot of grain reserves. We did not have, oh, here's another one. And it's all over the place. Like people are sending me information. You know, the honeybees have, have been collapsing all over the place due to, to the pesticides and 5G and God knows what. The, the cattle herd, the beef cattle herd in the United States is now down to its lowest level since uh, 1962 uh, because of the drought ranchers can't afford to feed. Uh, Florida got hit by Hurricane Ian, and the orange production is now going to be lower than it was in 1936. I mean, we have, just like I said, these pieces that are, you know, cumulatively about to really crescendo into, like, you are going to start noticing it. You will start going to the grocery store, and week after week, you'll be going... Oh my, oh my goodness, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been noticing it going up, but it's kind of like, ah, you know, or the packaging getting smaller, and we're kind of like, ah, you know. But it's going to be like, oh my God, I see this, and people will be going, as soon as I get any money and I'm going to spend it right now, uh, and, and, and soon we'll run into the panic buying and all the other stuff. Governments will probably start trying to do price controls, and every, but we're at that. We are so close to that right now. Mm. It's absolutely vital. So I'm here to give you that warning. Uh, I know there's so many other things going on, the banking system and all these other systems, uh, but the biggest consequence of all those other collapses are the food system. So that's, um, 
you know, <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> no, no, and that's a very thorough rundown. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the one thing that got my attention more than anything, I guess, in maybe 2021, uh, going into 2022 last year was was the, what was obviously a very planned and I don't know how strategic, but very intentional attack on the food supply chain. You know, like you said, 150 major processing plants were taken out um, and, you know, reports were coming in from all around the world about these places just mysteriously going up in flames for no apparent reason. And it just coincidentally kept on being these food production plants. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's definitely been brewing for at least a year now. Um, yeah, but, uh, I would, I would say that it's actually following exactly according to plan. In the 2015 scenario that they did, and they took all the website down. I wish I had been alert and I, I saw it happening. And I was kind of like, Oh, those people, you know, whatever. <laughs> I didn't realize the consequence of what these people were doing. Uh, and, but they've taken the main website down. You can still find a lot of it online. Uh, but one of the things that they did, they actually very clearly mapped out where violence and rioting would be breaking down and where countries would be toppling because of this, that, and the other. And um, I was just on, I believe it's uh, the Carnegie uh, group has um, uh, a website where they track uh, protests of significance around the world. Huh. And uh, you just Google it. And and I thought, yes, of course, because they were a part of the simulation. They're now tracking their, they're following their projections to see, I mean, they're and, and they're making it available. It's really interesting. They've always told us what they were doing in one way or another, if you had eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, and so Carnegie has this website, and you can see that the uh, protests have gone up hugely uh, just in the last year, and they're tr they're tracking it, and they're letting you know they're tracking it. And they, I bet it's following exactly the script that they have laid out, you know. So yeah, yeah. I'm just I just went to the site. It's CarnegieEndowment.org, and uh, it says over 400 significant anti-government protests have erupted worldwide. More than 132 countries have experienced significant protests. 23% of them have lasted for more than three months. And uh, 135 significant economic anti-government protests since 2017, which is probably now exponentially increasing. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's the fundamental thing. So years ago, actually, when I was sort of starting to wake up, like in 2003 or so, I remember when the U.S. went into I know it was Iran or Iraq or something. It was in Iran and... and uh, and I thought, well, that is just totally crazy. You know, they don't have nuclear weapons. This is totally, why aren't people, the U.S. government doesn't need to do this. Why aren't we out in the streets, you know, rioting against this, right? You know, our own government is doing stupid things. You know, I was pretty naive back then. And then I said, well, what makes people riot anyway? I mean, like, what, what, what causes people to riot? Now, the BLM stuff that we had here in the U.S. a couple of years ago was completely paid for. So that's not really rioting. The rioting that's going on now is real. Anyway, you know, whenever you have a question, and even in any situation, if you just, you know, kind of hold it in your heart and you keep your mind open, you say, I want, I want an answer to this question, then the universe will bring that to you. You know, mm -hmm. we do have support and, and guidance uh, always from, from the other realms. And sure enough, like I am not normally on the MIT, the Massachusetts Technology website. One happened one day. I happened to be surfing there, and sure enough, there was a um, a whole article by the Institute for Complex Systems on the fundamental causes of rioting. Uh -huh. And being the uh, 
being the Institute for Complex Systems, they thought it would be a whole bunch of complex stuff, right? And they were shocked that it drilled down to one variable and it was the price of food. Mm -hmm. And they developed a mathematical model, which I'm sure was used in 2015. I'm sure it's been known forever that they could actually totally pinpoint when violent rioting and protests would break out based on the price of food in any given region. They actually completely predicted the uh, Arab Spring Hmm. And they were trying to like warn, you know, how do you, how do you call the U.S. government and say, hey, we think there's going to be some rioting in there, you know. <laughs> but they have totally have a model, and I'm sure that the, the food chain reaction folks had that exact same model. And, and I think that's something that actually has been known by the, uh, you know, it's been known by the ruling elite or the royalty uh, for, from antiquity. I know. Romans said, you know, give them bread and games and they'll never revolt, right? Uh, you know, Kissinger is like, control the food, you control the people. I mean, this is actually something that has been fundamentally known for a long, long time. So uh, it isn't surprising. Um, but that is, uh, you know, if, if you say, well, is this Marjorie crazy? You know, I still go to my grocery store and there's stuff there and yet it's going up in price. So look at what's going on around the world and realize that that is... Uh, those, those are the, you know, it's coming, it's coming soon to you. I would like to shift into like, what is the down and dirty way to prepare for that right now? Like, yeah. what can you go do right now? Yeah. Sure. So we're going to all need to shift our thinking into what the new currency is going to be. And yes, I know there's crypto and precious metals. Absolutely. If you have resources, definitely move into that. The calorie is about to become the new unit of currency that will be of import and a 2000 calorie a day diet, which I wish I was eating that. I'm like, no, I could take out this extra 10 pounds. <laughs> you, know, you really want more than that, but that's kind of like, you can live okay on 2000 calories. You know, what is that? It's like 750,000 calories a year or something like that. Right. I mean, a million calories a year is a good target. And, Right now, you can go buy a 50-pound bag of beans and a 50-pound bag of rice, which will be about 100,000 calories, and you can buy it for $75. I just priced this on Sam's Club. I don't know what it is in your region, but I imagine it would be similar. So go buy 10 bags of beans and 10 bags of rice. It'll cost you $750, and you'll have a million calories. Mm-hmm. You know, and store them well, by the way. I've stored greens before and then I and then I had a, an incredible rat population. It was amazing. They were improperly stored. And then I found out how to eat rats, uh, which you don't want to do that. I promise you. It's it's they're not, they're actually you can make them kind of tasty, but look, just store them really well, okay? Those, <laughs> yeah. You know, those big uh, they have these big dog food containers with a real good gamma seal on it or even if you want to go cheaper than that you just get metal um garbage cans with a very tight fitting lid and keep it in a, in a kind of a cool dark dry place mm. and store it some other things and of course that's just the bare bones and i have a lot of people in that and they're like oh but i'm on the paleo diet and i'm like yeah you're going to be on the paleo diet all right but the bottom line is you can you know, and no, I can't, and you definitely can't eat beans and rice forever. I'm going to tell you, I tried that and appetite fatigue is a real deal, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but you can train, you can trade, you know, you can trade for whatever 
right? Uh, it's the calorie is a new unit of currency. So make sure you've got some currency, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, buy some Ziploc bags so you can <laughs> sell it at the, at the flea market that's going to spontaneously erupt in your town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are probably also wondering about, you know, the anticipation of power outages and this kind of thing. You know, if stuff gets this bad, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. Like that. But yeah. So I did an interview with um, Fernando Aguirre uh, quite a few years ago, and he was involved in the collapse of Argentina when they went through a very severe economic downturn. And one of the first things he was telling me was that his brother came to visit him from Spain and his brother immediately got sick. And I said, why? And he said, well, you know, when the government's not functioning, the water, the sewage, nothing functions and our level of hygiene just plummeted. And now there's all kinds of sickness and disease like you would only expect to find in some of the worst places in India or Africa because we're not, you know, this isn't being uh, maintained. And yeah, you know, electricity is going to be going out. Uh, so um, those deep freezers now, they make them really efficient and get a little solar panel system, you know, and then pad it up with blankets to make it even more efficient. Like there's lots of creative ways to do this. The thing is, is you want to do it right now. I know that in the 2008, 2010 crisis and at other, or even in 2020, like our big box stores would limit you to, you can only buy two bags of beans or you can only buy two bags of rice at a time. You know, they were limiting people because there was such a run on it. Actually, right now in the UK, I just heard that the major food stores, they're limiting you to two cucumbers and two tomatoes. There's such a scarcity of fresh produce. Wow. Wow. That, yeah, that's sobering. That's really sobering. I mean. I know. You know the English. <laughs> Right, right. It's, 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 it's not a third world country, or it didn't used to be, right? No, no. It's it's so bizarre. It's like I remember in Australia when they had the height of the the, the convert sort of hysteria, and they started to institute you know, police standing outside shopping centres checking people's bags that they were buying the right things. It's almost like you know that was a precursor to get us used to the you know what was coming down the pipelines with this, the scarcity and the enforced uh, you know like rationing of food. I guess. Yeah. There are, uh, the theft is getting so bad in a lot of places in the U.S., especially on the West Coast, that there are all kinds of retailers that are just pulling out. Uh, so like Walmart, which actually is an astonishingly big grocer in the United States, uh, they're just, they're just shutting stores because wow. the theft is too big, especially like, you know, Seattle, Portland, and some of those areas. Uh, yeah. They just said, we're shutting, we're shutting it down. And, and in other areas where the crime is people just go in and steal stuff and they can't keep up with it and more and more um stores here in the u.s are having armed guards at the grocery store and i predict that that will um become more of a thing all over the place so it's real and the thing is is the early adopters and we're all, you're already a little bit behind but the good news is you're still ahead of the of the uh you know by the time this really starts to hit people in mass, it's, it's going to be too late. So you want to get this in place now. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I could talk for a minute about um, most people don't really, because most people aren't producing their own food. The most difficult thing to produce in a backyard is fat. And I know we've all had this fat phobic culture. You know, forget that. You know, like I said, 
Uh, it's very difficult to produce fat, and fat is also a difficult thing to store. Mm. Uh, the best uh, fat that I've found that can store is um, like coconut um, coconut oil or coconut cream in the in the cans, uh-huh. and that can store for like a year or two. But most other oils, uh, olive oil, palm oil, all that kind of stuff, they usually go rancid. Um, you know, six months to a year. Actually, a lot of the olive oils and all, a lot of the oils that are sold in stores are already rancid, and that that rancidity is so rough on your liver. And I'm I'm sure Brendan, your community already knows not to be eating vegetable oils or the hydrogenated oils or that stuff, which just is absolutely artery clogging. Yeah, yeah, um, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. So um, butter, I you know I've got you know, several pounds or more of butter in the freezer which can mm-hmm. be butter can store in a freezer for a good uh, year or, you know, if I have to push it two years, if I have any left two years, <laughs> I love butter. Um, and again, you know, with the freezer, I've got a little solar panel system for, for backup for that because it's so important to me. Mm. Uh, so fats are the most difficult, the next most difficult thing to produce in a backyard. It goes fats, protein, carbohydrates, and then fiber for the macronutrients. And so protein is, is another one that's more difficult. I mean, you think, well, let me go back to the, the fats for a second. I mean, you're in a garden. How many fatty vegetables? Do you <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot. No, your cucumbers and your squash and your broccoli, they're, they're not fatty, right? You know, so the fat is, is difficult. Protein is another one. You do get some protein out of the garden, like in some of your beans and legumes and things. But protein um, is another. Now, that is something that is easier to store. So like, for example, I have cases of uh, tuna fish and I like to get the wild caught or the caught in a good way tuna. Uh, and um, I guess there is some danger of eating too much uh, tuna fish with the, you know, the metals and things. So I'm trying to be very careful about that. Um, and there are other canned meats uh, that you can buy and store. And again, you're going to have a couple of years on that, you'll probably, it probably won't need a couple of years. You'll probably be eating that fairly soon, but that's another um, food storage that you can do. Um, mm. You know, and then again, the grains, the grains are just fabulous. And again, I don't eat a lot of grains, but I have a lot of grains in storage and I try to do the ones that are a little bit more friendly to my body and, and type like the quinoa or the barley or you know, some of the alternatives, amaranth or something like that to, to the wheat yeah. or corn. Um, uh, but their grains are so great because you can get so many dense calories and, and it's really still super cheap, easy to store, you know, uh, and, and you're going to get, get a lot of carbohydrates out of that and some protein. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the next thing that the next step after you've bought your bag of food supplies, and you can do that this afternoon. You know, uh-huh. like, right, you can have that done in one day. You should go do that right now, right? You know, you people are going to think you're nuts, but believe me, people have been thinking I'm nuts for years. So you can just join the club. Actually, you and your community, I'm sure, are over worrying about what other people think of you. But go, go do that. You yeah. Go do that right now. And then the next thing is you absolutely need to figure out how to grow your own food. Uh, I, I predict that nobody's going to make it through this decade. Um, if they're not growing some of their own food, it's just, yeah. it's just going to get that difficult. It really is. Here's one example 
uh, in Weimar Germany, and I've spent a lot of time studying that uh, scenario. So it's like you know, 20, 1922 time period where a dozen eggs went from being a half a mark to being like a billion marks in like a year, right? So you think of the price of eggs have been going up. <laughs> yeah, right. You haven't seen anything yet. That was in 1922, right? Can you imagine now with the flash, everything that we got, like how mm. fast things can change. SVB Bank, for example, the Silicon Valley Bank that went under two weeks ago, $1 million a second was withdrawn from that bank in the 10-hour window they were open on Thursday. $42 billion was drained from that bank before they shut it down and the Fed came in and put it into receivership. Wow. So I don't know when this is going to happen, but, you know, the, the reports on the crops are coming in from South America. I don't know whether that's going to make the headline news or not. Probably not. But this is happening. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know what, you know, what, we, we never know, right? But we are just so close to this. Um, anyways, let me go back to, to growing food. So we do have that webinar um, is uh, brendansbackyard.com, right? That's yep, it. yep. We've got a uh, personalized link there, brendansbackyard.com. Got my own, got my own one. <laughs> I know, it's a great name. I love it. Yeah. And, and in there, I condense uh, 20 years of looking at this problem of How do you take somebody who knows absolutely nothing? Maybe they're older or out of shape. And how do you get them producing food really, really, really quickly with the resources that you're likely to have in either a a grid down situation or a collapsing situation? Um, So you're actually way ahead of the game right now. Um, You know, with the resources that most of us as modern peoples would have uh, available to us. Mm. Um, And I'm going to break some some vegan and vegetarian hearts here, but the most easiest way is to produce a lot of calories and especially fat is going to be animal products. Um, and I've had, um, had some uh, uh, big arguments with idealist young permaculturists. I'm like, no, we're going to be vegans. I'm like, okay, you guys, you have a good time trying that. I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. I was a raw vegan when I started. And uh, I'm going to tell you, you can do it. It's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> and I've even tried living in the tropics, like in Costa Rica or Hawaii, or you know, spending a lot of time with homesteaders that also started out with that, like, oh, I'm going to be a fruitarian or I'm going to do this. And there they were with their chickens and their rabbits and their cattle in Costa Rica after years of working on it and going, you know what? Animal products produce a lot more, more quickly. And I'll give you the thumbnail rundown on the on the numbers. And by the way, that's what I go into in the in the webinar is a small flock of chickens, a small garden, and a rabbitry, and how that can produce half of the food that you need. And it's in in a three car, a three parking spot size. Uh, but just some of the, I'll give you the punchline on some of it. Um, six laying hens. A laying hen will produce about uh, two hundred and fifty eggs a year. They do need a little time off. They molt their feathers, and sometimes it's too hot or too cold. So you're not getting 365, or you're getting 250 a year. Six laying hens, that's going to be 1,500 eggs a year. It's about 64 calories for a um, medium-sized egg. And that ends at 62 calories. Anyway, somewhere around there. It ends up being about 94,000 calories for those 1,500 eggs. 
And I know most of us are not normally kind of making that connection in our brain. So I'll present it to you in another way. 1500 eggs means you can have three egg omelets for breakfast every day of the year and have 33 dozen eggs to give away or share or barter or trade with. And that's a huge amount of production. Mm-hmm. And you can get that going really in a couple of weeks, you know, by the laying hens who are six months old and already laying or just about to lay, right? And you can have egg production going and just as soon as you can build the coop and run and get the feed and water system set up. So it's very quick. Mm, yeah, yeah. Eggs are just such good value, like uh, time, energy, the output. Um, and, you know, when we were going through our vegan stage, me and Amy, you know, I was, I still, if I could get back eggs out of somebody's backyard and kind of like, you know, bend the rules a little bit, I would do that. <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense to not, to not do it, in my opinion. Yeah. I get you. And then, and then everybody says, oh, Marjorie, and they think about Marjorie and they think about gardening. And I'm like, really, gardening is like the least efficient system. Uh, it's very important to have, a, it's very important to have a couple of different systems because you never know what's going to work and what's going to fail and things do fail. So please, you know, get ready for that. Um, mm. It's why you have those 10 bags of beans and rice in the back room, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, a garden, again, I'm talking only about 100 square foot gardens. So this would be two 50 square foot beds that are about, you know, two, two cinder blocks high, which is, here in the U.S. is about 16 inches high. A single cinder block here, it, it weighs about 16 pounds, which is something that a woman and a child can easily carry. So, you, you know, almost anybody can build these things. You don't need to glue them in place. Just put them in place. Um. You know, they'd be, you know, like 11, 12 feet long by four or five feet wide. You got 50 per bed, 50 square feet per bed, and you have two of them. And I have gardened out of that many, many, many years. And uh, I will tell you that you can produce all of the vegetables that one person needs in that small of a space. It's, it's absolutely uh, possible. I've done it over and over again. I've, even in Colorado, where we only had one growing season, I produced so much and then I dried or froze or canned and I had I had enough stuff for the whole year from just that one growing season with that um, with that garden and a garden is really only going to produce about um, depending on how many growing seasons you have but 30 and what you're planting but about 30 to 60,000 calories uh, the thing you are going to get out of that is a lot of diverse nutrition so you want to eat the rainbow right so you're going to have your red bell peppers and your red tomatoes and your purple kale and your you know, the yellow squash and the orange carrots and, you know, and you're going to get your fiber and you're going to get more carbohydrates out of that. So garden is, is great to have. Uh, and then the, and, and then the third component is a, is a, is a home rabbitry. And again, this is really, and by the way, the two garden beds will fit in the size of a parking spot. Like we're only talking about, you know, two, the, the hundred square feet of bed space plus the paths and all that. So we're, you know, we're, we're talking about 200 square feet or something like, which is, you know, a, a parking spot, right? Yeah, it's pretty economical. And then a, a rabbit tree, you have one buck and three breeding does. And um, when I lived in Texas and we couldn't breed for several months a year, that was just too hot. Uh, I was still producing 75 rabbits a year from that system. And again, you're building a rabbit hutch and maybe having some little, we'll call them movable pens for them to get on the grass and eat. You're, you're again talking about only about the size of a parking spot. And they'll produce about 75 rabbits a year. You can actually get more out of it if you're in other regions that have a more temperate climate. Um, 70, a rabbit is a very, very equivalent to a chicken. Uh, and all your recipes that you use for chicken right now 
absolutely they're transferable to Rabbit, so you won't need to learn anything new. Um, you know, uh, what is it? I guess it's like seven or eight hundred calories uh, per pound for rabbit meat and 75 rabbits. There's a 50 percent, 40 to 50 percent uh, meat to carcass ratio because, you know, you don't get the you don't want to eat the fur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're talking about 234,000 calories basically out of a home rabbitry. So, oh, wow. There's a reason in the 1970s when the world was going crazy that there were so many people rushing into their backyards and building home rabbit trees and why that was the really big push the last time when rabbits became super, super popular. And you think about the rabbits breed like rabbits. <laughs> so I've had people ask me, you know, why don't you raise chickens for me? And I can give you a very simple distinction for why that is. Chickens are omnivores and rabbits are herbivores. So in order to feed a chicken a meat and a chicken, to, and they have about the same, you know, I mean, you could process them in, in eight to 12 weeks. Uh, I tend to let my rabbits go more because I like them to get fat. Because remember that fat is the most valuable nutrient. But um, chickens are omnivores. So they're going to want to eat things that are, you're going to, they're going to compete with you for food, right? So they, they're grains or, you know, a lot of your food sources, whereas rabbits are pure omnivores. So you can feed them, you know, grass trimmings and, and, and uh, when you're tr pruning your, your fruit trees, they love the bark and, hmm. you know, th they're basically turning stuff that you don't eat into fat and protein. Whereas chickens um, take food sources that you would normally eat to turn into fruit, uh, to in, into fat and protein. So, um, and, and I loved doing it. We did it for years where we'd raise, we'd get like a hundred little baby chicks and raise them up. And it's a, basically a three month project. And, but it took enormous amounts of grain mm. to get them up to size. And we did it as a family. It was a wonderful thing. And we, we would have these, you know, we'd lose some. So we'd have, a, you know, 85 to 90 chickens at the end of it, process it as a family over a couple of weekends and have that in the freezer, give away a lot. And then our family always had a you know chicken every week or two chickens a week. And it's a lovely thing to do, but where we're going into now, you will not be able to afford uh, the grain to, to feed meat chickens. So there's a real distinction between herbivores and, and, and historically pigs, by the way, are omnivores and historically eating pig or eating chicken was actually a real big deal uh, just because they are more expensive to raise. So the homesteaders of the past would have things like goats or sheep or rabbits or cattle because they're herbivores. And that was the meat that was generally more available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about the, you know, why why not chickens? But you, you know, like you said, chickens will eat all your vegetables if you give them half a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, your chickens for your um, um, for your eggs, which is hugely worth it to do, and if you have small, just six hens, you know, you can come up with a feed for that. And when people sign up for the webinar at uh, Brendan's backyard farm. Uh, we don't mention it on the registration page, but I'll have you in an email sequence where I give you a video. It's created by Justin Rhodes, who's a friend of mine, on how to feed your chickens for free. So all kinds of alternative chicken feed. When you start with your chickens, I don't, I, you know, right now chicken feed's cheap. You know, go buy some 50-pound bags of chicken feed because you're, you're building a coop. You're getting chickens. You're learning a new rhythm. you got a lot. You're figuring out water. you got a lot to learn. 
So use the inexpensive feed that's available now to help get yourself up to speed and know that the next step will be eventually is to produce all the chicken feed for your chickens and you'll have the resource to do that. But don't try to do that from the get-go because you know, we're going step by step here on what, what should you do first and second and third. That's, a, that's definitely because, you know, when the grocery stores close, the feed stores are going to close. So, yeah. you know, you want to have that, but, um, you know, don't start out trying to do everything all at once. You know, you just take it mm-hmm. step by step and implement what you can. Yeah. I remember, you know, we've done some house sits with uh, chooks around Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, we, we used to feed them our food scraps. They ate pretty much everything we threw at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Some things, you know, kind of almost disgusting. There's this roadkill that was so bad that it wouldn't be good for human consumption. And I'd put it in a bucket and let it, um, let, let a bunch of maggots grow on it and feed the maggots to the chickens. And they loved it. You know, they just, yeah. they went crazy over that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's experience talking, ladies and gents. <laughs> All right. Well, where do we, uh, where should we take it now, Marjorie? <laughs> well, that was mostly what I wanted to cover was, uh, you know, like get your backup. The, first of all, it is happening. It's happening right now. It's, there's enough of it on the edges. I know you can see it. Get some backup food supplies in place. We've gone over some real bare bones basics. If you know, do that as soon as possible. You will not regret it. And if any, you want to think of it as a financial investment, you know, do you know? Like if you think about if you'd have bought, uh, you know, a can of beans a year ago, it would now be double in price. You made hundred percent return on your money, right? So, That's right. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and think about how much money you'll save when each tin's you know going to cost ten thousand or a million, you know. Yeah. Um, but and I- the and the other thing is start, you know, looking at how to grow your own food, and if nothing else, just watch the webinar and go. Well, maybe I'm not ready to do that yet, but look at what resources you're going to need. You know, how do you build that chicken coop? Well, you're going to need this kind of wire, and you're going to need these pieces. Go get those materials now while it's easy to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. You know, get prepared for this. Um, you can do it. You can totally do it. Um, it's only been an anomaly in history that we haven't been growing our own food. And all of your ancestors did it. They didn't have Google. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them couldn't even read or write, you know. Um, you know, they and they, they actually lived. A lot of them probably lived healthier lives than we are. No uh, doubt. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no um, so that's that's really what I want to I, I can say one other thing in, 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 in close. So what got me started on this 20 years ago was um, my first degree is in electrical engineering and I was living overseas in Asia. I'd always wanted to live overseas and uh, it was so fun hanging out with the Aussies during the, the rugby sevens games. You know, you guys uh-huh. can drink so much. It was mm. unbelievable how they how much they can pound. Anyway, um, while I was there, they said, hey, Marjorie, there's this guy. I grew up in a kind of a really poor family, and I was always interested in money. And they said, hey, Marjorie, this guy, Robert's got this class on uh, um, money, and I ought to take it. And I'm like, well, what do we know about it? I don't know nothing. I'm like, well, I'll take it anyway, whatever. So I go to this class, and this guy, Robert, just blows my mind with his distinctions on money. And, you know, because all the stuff we learn in school really has been designed to, to keep us um, dumbed down, quite frankly. And I was kind of figuring that out. Like, I mean, this, none of this makes sense. 
And so I go to this guy's Robert's class and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And it ultimately inspired me to leave engineering and to take my savings. And I created a very, very successful real estate investment business in Austin, Texas. I was also, you know, coming into the desire to motherhood and had a husband and we were starting to do that. And the business was so successful that Robert came back to me and he said, hey, Marjorie, would you be a, a lead testimonial on my infomercials? So for four years... <laughs> I was on national television for several infomercials for Robert Kiyosaki selling Rich Dad Poor Dad programs. And um, so successful. And I had a great time. And I like to volunteer. And I was volunteering on a, and I had no idea that this was going to completely change my life, destroy my life almost. Uh, volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a small rural elementary school. And that project was an utter failure. And it wasn't you know, like the state wanted it and the government, there's grant money, funding, the teachers wanted the parent, the PTA and the parent teacher saying they all wanted, even the kids wanted it. You know, I mean, it was gonna be, we had room on the grounds and 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 um, the thing that caused the failure was when we went to put pen to paper to find the farmers who would provide the vegetables. And this was Bastrop County in Texas, which is right outside of Austin, Texas. And there were not enough local farmers to provide even part of the vegetables for one small rural elementary school. And Texas has some big counties, you know. Uh, and this was a rural county. And I, you know, and we're near Austin. It's like progressive, right? You know, I just couldn't stop shaking. You know, I was just... Like, you know, I'm responsible for closing up the building as a community center. Like, I could barely get the chairs under the table because of that, like, turning off the lights. And... Because I knew there's only four days worth of food in the grocery stores that food traveled an average of 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. And I was surrounded by 20 million Texans who were armed to the teeth. And I had two small kids. And I just, the thought that kept going through my head is, you know, farmers come from gardeners and we have got to rebuild the entire food system. It has absolutely been gutted and we don't have any local food, you know. And if you're honest with yourself, which I was at that point in time, you know, I didn't ever consciously think this way. But if you live in the city or the suburbs, which most of my life I have, kind of way in the back of your mind, you're thinking if something bad happens, I'll go out and just get stuff from the farmers. I, you know, I'll steal stuff if I have to, right? There's no farmers out there, right? There's no plan B. There's nothing out there, right? And Texas is an agricultural state. And I just could not stop shaking. And, 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 and I, so I sold the real estate business and, and, and we, the whole life changed. And uh, actually my health declined. I, I had panic attacks. I was freaking out in the middle of the night, cold sweats. I lost friends, family members shunned me. They're like, Marjorie, you're the United States of America, you know, we're never going to have empty shelves on our grocery stores. We're never going to have supply chain problems. That only happens in, you know, third world countries, you know, that's. And I said, look, I know what I know and I cannot ignore it. It's like, you know, it's a message that's come and I've got to work on this problem. And I'm like, God, you really picked the wrong person this time, but I'm going to do what I can do, you know. And so I learned everything I could about growing food and, 
and uh, eating in, uh, in rid-down situations, survival situations, what's edible, what isn't. Oops, I'm going to make this thing go quiet. quiet. I mean, I believe me, I've eaten everything. If it's edible, you know, snakes and insects and frogs and, you know, you name it. How to, how, to, <clears throat> how to determine the edibility of roadkill and anything, right? Because when you get into hard times, you know, it, that's, that's, that's a thing. We're not used to ever having to think like that. And I started teaching people. And then, uh, you know, I made a video and, and then one thing kept leading to another. And now I found I founded the Grow Network in 2009. And, and then I was like, oh, my God, we have antibiotic resistance as a problem. So I found some really great guy who knows all about how to treat infections without antibiotics. We made products on that. And then people were asking me more about home medicine. And we started building products on that. And uh, my own teeth had never been that greatest, probably because I eat too much chocolate. Um, so we learned stuff about alternatives to dentists and put that out because the dental industry is even more corrupt than the medical system. Um, you know, just, we just kept building more products and doing more things and that's, you know, takes us up to today. And we now do have this crisis and everything that I've done has always been to how do we serve people during this time? Mm -hmm. And, but I want to say I am so grateful for that night in Red Rock because um, I would have never grown my own food. I mean, why would I? I was making so much money, right? I would have never taken this life path, but it has been the best thing I've ever done. I've healed physically, emotionally, mentally. Spiritual, magical things happen because you're working with forces of creation when you're growing food. You know, you're working with animals, you're working with nature, you're working with plants. I'm going to tell you, there is mystical, magical things happen every day. And I just love it. It's just, I'm just so grateful that it happened. And I know someday, of course, this is, we got this whole crisis happening now and people freaking out. You will look back on this and you go, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So that's <laughs> just where I want to leave it. Awesome. All right. Well, I will, I will let you leave it there then. Um, and folks, make sure you do go and watch that webinar and get the full Get the get the full download. Uh, we are showing it at Brendan, sorry, Brendan'sbackyard.com. And um, yes, I can't thank you enough, Marjorie, for you know for the work you, you've been doing for so long now and, and uh, helping people to become self-sufficient, self-reliant. I think it's obviously we've hit the point where it's kind of mandatory. Um, I'm hoping that you know what's coming isn't too intense and doesn't last too long. But you know, let's let's make sure that the people in the countries that are being hit and are about to be hit are you know well stocked on their on their rice and beans and they've got some chooks and rabbits and all this sort of stuff. So guys, if you if you haven't already got that set up, make sure you go watch the webinar, get the information, go and get started now before it is too late to catch up. And um, yeah, Marjorie, uh, any other info we want to leave people with, like uh, how to I don't know, follow you on social media or what, what other resources you might want to put? No, just, just really go to, to Brendan's Backyard, uh, uh, backyard brendansbackyard.com. And, uh, you know, once you watch the webinar, we'll introduce you. As I said, I'll send you those emails with the links to a lot of other resources you're going to need, how to make that off-grid waterer how to feed your chooks, I love that, for free, <laughs> uh, how to make your uh, 50 free fertilizers, because fertilizers are another issue. So a lot of resources that you are going to need, we get, we get, make sure that you have. And, you know, at the end of the webinar, of course, we make you an offer for a full training package and a book that I've written. 
uh, which are more resources that will just take you step by step and get you up to speed as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and uh, we make it all super reasonably priced. But even if you aren't buying that, there's a ton of resources for free because we just we just need to do that now.